Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. You know, the end of the year is probably the most wonderful time of the year. At least it is for me. And part of the reason is that we've gone through so much that we're not like, ah, let me take you know, a bit of a break. But the funny thing is that going towards the end of the year and the process of ending the year is actually a little bit tedious. For some of us, uh, there's a whole process of getting there. Either you are winding down at work, or for some of us, it is that we are making very difficult trips, or for some of us, it is that we're having to spend tons of money. But the reason why we do so, why we endure this process, is because we think the end is worth it. Particularly when we reflect on how the year has gone and how all the things that went through, we went through during the year, we feel like the end of the year being a good thing is worth it. So I'll go through the process. Our reflection helps us to see that the process is worth it. And the funny thing is that we have something similar with the beginning of the next year. You see, that's when we start to make all our resolutions for the year. It may involve certain particular business targets. It may involve certain particular spiritual targets. It may involve certain particular body physical targets. And if you are looking for you know, reference, you can look no further than yours truly. But apart from that, the process of setting the resolutions themselves can be tedious. But when we reflect on what we may achieve with those goals, all of a sudden, the process seems worth it. The reflection helps us and the resolution helps us so that when we come to this point, the transition point, we say this transition point is very significant. It's very significant in that it even almost becomes magical for some of us. And the way that happens here in Nigeria, here in Lagos, it often puts people in two different camps. The first camp of people are the ones where, you know, we will do anything and everything to make sure that we're doing the right thing and we're at the right place so that uh, during the transition, so that all will go well in the next year. If you fall in that camp, I can understand why. But also try not to insult God with that. You cannot just say everything that happened in the course of the year, God just forgets and overlooks. And all that matters is where you were and who spoke to you between 1159 and 1201. God will not be mocked. But there are some of us in the second camp that we look at what people like that do in the first camp and we just become people who like to spoil on the parade, people who like to poo-poo on people's transition and what they're expecting. We, Lord, we, we talk about all the false prophets and all those things. We enjoy almost just ridiculing people for coming to this sense of this transition really does matter. But many of us celebrate milestones in our lives, don't we? 
We celebrate transition points. We celebrate weddings. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate matriculations. We celebrate convocations. Some of us even wash cars. Housewarming. Why? Because it's deeply human to reflect and to resolve in transition moments. They do matter. Transition of offers us the opportunity to reflect on what God has done for us in the past year, but also to resolve to look forward to what God will do for us in the coming year. And so at City Church, we've had a tradition of theming what the next year will be. The, the watchword, if you like, for the coming year. Having reflected on the previous year, but also looking to God for what the next year will look for. And can I say this? I really believe, City Church, as a people, I really believe that we are in a place of transition. Not just transition into the next year, but transition into another phase of what God is going to do in this ministry. I really do believe that our best years lie ahead of us, not behind us. And so it's because of that, really because of that, more than ever, I believe that the way we are going to think in the coming year and coming years, the way we are going to make decisions in the next five years will be monumental. And so this coming year, that is why our theme is going to be hinged, is going to be rooted in going back to the basics. And this simple verse teaches us something that is very basic in our Christianity. It is at the heart of what God is. It's at the heart of who Jesus is. We are going back to the heart of Christ. And that's what I want to use in this sermon. So without further ado, let me tell you the word for the year going forward. You see, in 2017, as we were transiting, it was focused. In 2018, as we were transiting, it was faith. In 2019, as we were transiting, it was perspective. In 2020, as we were transiting, it was courage. And the word for 2022 is the word invitation. Invitation. And this passage brings that out to us in a very profound way. I want to tell you this. Be rest assured that whoever we are, if we come to Jesus, if we respond to his invitation, whether we have done that before or we're doing it for the first time, he will never drive us away. It is the greatest assurance that you can have in your life. And it is the greatest assurance that you will have going into 2022. I want us to hear those words. Jesus will never drive us away. The one who makes an invitation that we respond to rightly will never drive us away. So I want us to go through this passage under these three headings. Obviously, we are titling uh, the sermon invitation. And these three headings are understanding the invitation, objecting to the invitation, and sharing the invitation. Understanding the invitation, objecting to the invitation, and sharing the invitation. So let's start with the first point. You know, studying deeply has its advantages whether you do a postgraduate degree or you just know a subject so well, you know, it hopefully makes you an authority and an expert in it. And that then opens up employ, um, um, employ, employable opportunities for you. Okay. But it also has its disadvantages. 
Because you can know a subject so intricately, so narrowly, that you forget what it's about at its most basic form. It's like the restaurant critic that can never really enjoy a meal. Why? Because he has 18 different metrics with which to judge the meal. It is the worship leader who really does not worship because he or she is so focused on their voice, the instrument, the response of the congregation. You can know something so much that you miss the simplicity of its essence. And we can do that a lot with Christianity. And we do it a lot with Christianity that we get so focused on so many different things that we lose its essence. But by the grace of God, as we enter 2022, we are going to recover all of that back. Because this passage tells us how much God is interested in bringing us to Christ and to make us new for all eternity. In fact, the three verses after tell us that this is the entire plan of God and the reason why he sent Christ into the world. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. He didn't come on his own will, the Father's plan. But the Father's plan is not just for you today, it is. But it is for you on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. So I want to remind us about this plan, I want to remind us about the heart of what Jesus says to you. I want to refresh us, even if we've been Christians for such a long time, to go back to the heart of Christ. Because you're going to need this in 2022. And we're going to do this by walking step by step through this verse. So I want us to take it bit by bit. Let's look at it. It says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. First of all, all those, all those. You see, some of us are satisfied with the word most in our lives. We live by it. I arrived almost on time. I finished most of my food. I read my Bible most mornings. I delivered a prophet most of the time. Now, while it does work in most areas of our lives, you don't want your spouse, for instance, saying, I am faithful to you most of the time. Do you? On the issue of setting his eye on a sinner to change them for all eternity, on the issue of setting his eye on his children to transform them into the nature of Christ, God is not in the most business. He doesn't say most of those the Father gives me. No, he says all of those the Father gives me, they will come to me. God does not operate by the most rule. He operates by the all rule. All those. The second one is this. It says, all those, the Father. The Father. You know, pastoring has made me hear the harrowing stories of a lot of abusive dads. Or absent dads. Or deceased dads. I thank God in my own case that my father was always there. My father was a great dad. I thank God for the father that, my God has, that God has given me. But even he does not compare to the heavenly father. Now, not only have I heard about deceased dads, absent dads, and abusive dads. You know what? I've also heard about selfish dads. 
I even have among some of my relatives that a very wealthy man, very wealthy, but he was not willing to spend good money on the education of his children and even on their welfare. In fact, he has this belief that he was less privileged than his children at their own stage in life. And therefore, and if he was able to achieve all the things that he achieved, well, they have more privilege. He doesn't have to shower them with sending them to the best schools and all that. They too should make their own way in life. And so he didn't do the best for them. It didn't work out well. You see, what pleased him was not, it didn't please him to give his children the best. No, it pleased him to put his children in hardship, but it pleased him to shower the wealth upon himself with cars and houses all over the place. And it's been a tragedy for his children. But that isn't what this father is about. This father gives us to his son. Jesus isn't trying to calm down an angry or trying to convince an unwilling father. It is the father himself that gives. This heavenly father, Luke 12, 32, tells us, he says, fear not, little flock. Do not be afraid, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The father is willing to give us. He is not trying to be convinced. It is the father you and I never had. He is willing to give. Well, the next thing then is, all those the Father gives me. Gives me. The thing with parenting is at some point, you realize you've come to the end of your expertise or your capacity. And you have to start involving people in the lives of your children. You start to give your children to someone. It could be the teachers in a school. It could be the teachers in a Sunday school. It could be a career mentor, but at some point, you have to give your children over to someone. And what you pray is that you are being a good parent by handing them over to the best kind of people. Well, our Heavenly Father can do us no better. And I mean this, no better. There is nothing better He can do than to hand us over to His Son. Because He knows that in all of eternity, in all of the universe, there is no better person he can hand us over to care for us in the way we most need. You see, what we get from all these people, career mentors, teachers, and all of those things, is essentially like eating from them. If the sum of their lives can be said to be a loaf of bread, when they give you guidance is that you are eating from them their wealth of wisdom. When they invest in you, you are eating from the works of their hands. When they try to protect you, you are eating from their level of security. But those things are always limited. The investment will be limited. The guidance won't always be filled with 100% wisdom. They can't always be there to protect you. At some point, even they, they die because, or they are not always present because they are not omnipotent. They may sacrifice part of their life for you, but they can't sacrifice all of their life for you. 
It may achieve something for us, maybe in this time, but it doesn't achieve anything for us in all of eternity. In other words, eating their bread will still leave us a bit hungry. It's only the son that the father gives us to that can quench the eternal hunger that our heart yearns for. You see, because of the sin of our heart, there is an eternal gaping, there is an eternal hunger that we have that nothing in this world will be able to satisfy, that no one in this world will be able to satisfy. They will not be able to satisfy it in this life. They cannot satisfy for all eternity. There is a limitation to the bread of every human being, but the Father gives us to his Son. And you know who his Son is? John 6, 51, is the bread of life. And he says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. It's not just that he gives part of his life for you. Actually, he gives all his life for you. He went to the cross. This son that the father gave us to went to the cross and he said, what? My life for your life. My life in which I live perfectly, your life in which you always sin, I'll give my life for you. So that when you eat of my flesh, that is, when you participate in my death, when you receive the salvation that I have given you, you will never die. You will live forever. The Father can do nothing better than to hand us over to his Son. Takes me to the fourth thing. All those the Father gives me will come to me. My wife recently told me about the AC guy that was meant to come and repair our house, uh, uh, AC. Two days ago, he told her, he said, I'm on my way. I'm coming. We're still waiting for him two days after. See, our biggest problem with handymen here in Lagos is two hurdles they must face when they tell you they are coming. I'm coming 3.30 on Tuesday. First of all, are they going to come on Tuesday? They must cross that hurdle. The second one is that are they going to come 3.30 on Tuesday? Most of them never do. But I have one person that works for, that has been working for me and has been providing a service for a long time. It's my barber. Comes to, has been coming to, to give me a home cut for 25 years now, this year. And here's the thing about my barber. He's never late. Scratch that. He's almost never late. In 25 years, though, he's probably been late about four or five times. Four or five times. But those four or five times, well, first of all, that shows you how extremely disciplined. He plans so well. He's so diligent. He's so, he's so di diligent and, and disciplined in things that he does. But you know why those four or five times happened? Not because he wanted to be late. There were circumstances beyond his control, things he could never have planned for, that made him unavoidably late. But let's hear what I know. If my Baba was in control of all those circumstances, he won't be late. If he was in control of all those circumstances, he would deliver on what he has said. Guess what? The Father is in control of all things. So that's why he can say that they will come to me. Isaiah 46 verse 11, what I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. 
Nothing can thwart the Father's plans for you. Those he gives to the Son will come because he is in control of everything. But the fifth one is somewhat related. It says, and whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me. I've been a fan of Arsenal Football Club since 1990-1991, but I was a passive fan for those for the next six years, I became an active fan, 96-97 season. We've had glory times. We've had glory years. And I really only want to talk about the glory years. You see, during the glory years, when Arsenal played a big match, or any match actually, when we scored, forget it, there was nothing that could stop me. I erupted with joy, particularly when it was against those red devils. I erupted with joy. And here's what I can tell you. Nobody forced me. No, I willingly responded with joy because I love them. And they had done something good. And that thing that they did good, based on the love that I had for them, brought about a willing response of an eruption of joy. I didn't respond as a robot. I responded willingly. Listen, it says, whoever comes to me, even though all the Father has given to the Son will come, God sovereignly works in that regard, but he is not going to bring us as robots. No, we will respond willingly. We respond willingly to the beautiful, assuring, non-transactional, loving invitation that he has given us to his son. We respond willingly to the offer that he has given us that nobody can actually give to us. Listen, this is a sure banker invitation. If you've ever been invested in a business that you say, this is sure banker, this, nothing can compare to your willing and positive response to this invitation. Why? Because the investment yields eternal life. He ensures that we will come, but we go willingly. Have you gone to him? Have you come to him? Have you made a response to this offer? If you've never made it, this is the greatest transition you will make as you transit to 2022. But have you become stale on this offer that was made to you that you responded to a number of years ago? Have you started to compare it with all the other offerings that you have on show? Oh, may God revive us. May he revive us to see that this is the greatest invitation that has ever been made. And for those who have never come to him, may you come to him now in the name of Jesus. Because there is a great assurance that comes despite all of our objections. And that takes me to my second point, objecting to the invitation. See, this one more phrase that I spoke about, ah, man, this is one of the sweetest, most comforting, most reassuring phrases in all of Scripture. Don't miss it. Listen, if you are somebody, some of us are the tattooing types, and you have been thinking, I want to get, I want to ink myself, but I don't know what to say because you know, <laughs> one chance, <laughs> you know, you don't want to mess it up. But you are thinking, what do I want to write on myself? I have a creative writer's block or, or, or inspirational block in 
what I should tattoo on myself. Can I suggest one to you? It is this. I will never drive you away. Or let me go King James with you. I will in no wise cast out. You see, that phrase, I will in no wise cast out, was designed for the pensive, the doubting hearts that many times we have, or maybe you currently have, about what Jesus thinks about you. It is designed to deal with every possible objection you could muster that Jesus will ever want you. In the last 18 months, I've had to deal with many people who have committed egregious sin. And let me tell you, it is one challenge to get people to see how bad the sin is. But you know an equal challenge that I have faced is that trying to convince those people that despite the sin, that Jesus still wants them. I will in no wise cast you out. was designed for those people, but it was designed for you and me. Anticipating all our possible objections. The old Puritan writer, John Bunyan, who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, also meditating on this passage. He thinks about all the kinds of sinners that there can be, and he keeps giving us this phrase over and over again. But I am a great sinner, you say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have sinned against the light. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. I have sinned against mercy. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. It deals with every objection because Christ says, if you come to me, I will receive you and I will in no wise cast you out. What objection do you bring today? I can tell you as we enter into 2022, Christ is saying this to you. I will in no wise cast you out. Do you believe it? If you do, then come to him now. Because, you see, the reason why we can assuredly hinge our lives on this promise is actually in the Greek construction of this phrase. You see, just before the two words drive away is a double negative that is applied. And sometimes in English, we don't immediately see it. There's a double negative. So it's almost like this. I will not not drive you away. Or... Better in the way we normally understand it, I will never ever drive away. He's at pains to show you just how much those who come to him will remain with him and he will not lose any of them. Maybe your issue is not sin, maybe your issue is suffering, maybe that is the objection you are bringing. Maybe you've gone through such a tough time in life. Maybe as some people are trying to celebrate at the end of this year, yours is, how come I'm still in this place? How come I'm suffering in this way? Perhaps you are saying when you know I have, perhaps you're saying, you know, if you know what I have suffered, you'll understand when I say, he may want me to come, but he wants me at a distance not very close to him. And I speak to you and say, my dear brother and sister, that is absolutely untrue. And the more you make yourself stand at a distance for days, numbness sets in within weeks, 
Destruction takes over within months and within a year you will feel like I have been cast out. But Jesus says to you, if you come, I will not in any wise cast you out. You see, the forceful nature of this promise is why. Notice he doesn't hinge his acceptance of those who come based on their nature. He describes them as whoever. He does not say that if you are suffering, it is evidence because you are a suffering whoever that I have cast you out. No, he says, whoever comes, I will not drive away. In other words, it is hinged on their coming and it is hinged on the nature of the one who has given the promise. He is the one who says, I will not drive them away. Will you come? Your suffering is not a measure of what God feels for you. Don't ever gauge your stance with God based on your pain. He accepts those who suffer and he keeps those who suffer. While he does heal those who suffer at times, when he doesn't, he's very aware of our proneness to fall from him because of sin. So you know a toddler that holds their parents' hands when they're trying to walk? They hold their parents' hands, but why don't they fall? It's not because they hold their parents' hands tightly. You know why? As they hold their parents' hands, the parents hold them tighter. Oh, that is why David in Psalm 63 says this, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Though I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Yes, we come to him. Yes, we try to hold him. But many times our suffering wants to take us away. But he will not let us go. Why? Because his right hand upholds us. This is to answer any objection, particularly even for those of us who are in pain and we start to doubt. It reminds me of that old song that says something like this. Pensive, doubting, fearful heart, hear what Christ your Savior says. All, all thy words should joy impart, turn thy mourning into praise. Yes, he speaks and speaks to thee, may he help thee to believe. And thou presently will see, thou hast little cause to grieve. The last verse says this, Though afflicted, tempest-tossed, comfortless a while thou art, do not think thou canst be lost, thou art graven on my heart. All thy wastes I will repair, thou shalt be rebuilt anew, and in thee shall appear what the God of love can do. When he brings you close to him, he takes the suffering and the sin in your life, and he brings something new. Those who he changes and makes new, he has also promised he will bring on the last day. I don't care what it is that you are going through. I don't care what it is that you have done. If you come to him, no conditions put. He will never drive you out. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what an offer. Oh, what an invitation. Will you not respond down to what this Christ is doing? But there's one more thing I do want to say. And that brings me to the third point, sharing, the, sharing of the invitation. You see the kind of promise we have. When we have this kind of promise and it refreshes our soul, and it revives our spirit. And it gives us an assurance. And it makes us look forward to the end. And now we have a spring in our steps. Now we can enter into the year with this assurance of faith. Now we can come to this great high priest with no barriers whatsoever. What will you do with it? Fear. 
First of all, what does he do to us? Yes, when we come to him, he gives us a new identity. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new status. He pours out the spirit in us. We are made alive in Christ. We are God's children because Christ is our savior. Yes, but you know, he also gives us a functional identity. That is an identity based on what he has told us to do. What do I mean? What is this? You know, in recent times, there have been diplomatic tension between Nigeria and the UK. They put us on the red list. Thank God they brought, it down, brought us down. But what people don't see is that the reason why we are brought down is due to the work of lots of people, but particular people. The ambassador to, uh, to the UK from Nigeria and the ambassador from the, UK, from the UK to Nigeria. What do they do? They represent the interest of their countries in the other place in a way that leads to hopefully mutual benefits for both countries. Listen, when you are brought into Christ's kingdom, because you have believed in him. When you are brought into that kingdom, you have a new status. It's a passive status. You are a child of God. You're a citizen of that kingdom. But there is a functional identity that you are given. You know what? We are sent back into the world as what? Ambassadors. And what do these ambassadors do? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. He says this. That we are there for Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We become God's mouthpieces. What is he saying? We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled with God. In other words, your functional identity now that you've had this real message is to share it. You know, as one of the innovations that came in social media. It wasn't just enough that you are seeing things that you like. But you see, one of the ways you complete the delight that you have in a thing is to say, who do I know that I love? I'm sharing it. We can share publicly on our walls. We can share publicly on our stories. But sometimes we share just through a text to one particular person. We share publicly and we share privately. In 2022, we were not just the people who responded to Christ's invitation. I pray that will be a church, that will be a people that will be inviting people into Christ, whether publicly or whether privately. We will not forget that we are ambassadors of Christ, that God is making his appeal to us. What a, an honorable thing to say, that God can take your mouth and mine and he's making his appeal to us because we are his ambassadors because we have come to the one that will never drive us away why not take that message to others and tell them assuredly that if you come to him he will not drive you away so that's what god is saying for us in 2022 and beyond we must become that church again because you see this reminds me of two sets of men in john chapter one you see in john chapter one and i'm first of all i'm looking at verse 35 to 37 and 41 to 42 John the Baptist, previously in verse 29, has identified Jesus as the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But the next day after he said that, it seems like some of his disciples were not there. And so he saw Jesus passing and he said, look, the Lamb of God. And there were two disciples that were with him. And when those disciples heard John say that, this one that has discipled them for such a long time, saying that I am not the one, this is the Lamb of God that I was telling you people about. You know what they did? It says they followed him, Jesus. John saw, witnessed, and he proclaimed, and he said they followed him. One of those disciples 
His name was Andrew. And when they followed Jesus, they asked Jesus, where do you stay? We will come to the place that you are at. And it seems as after they spent some time with Jesus, it says that Andrew was so excited. Do you know what Andrew did? He says, and I love the way they put it in verse 41. He said, the first thing. You see, after you have met with Jesus, you are so compelled. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, uh, 4, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 15 says, the love of Christ compels us. It compels us. We know a particular love that compels us. That if one died, then he died for all. And if we are all dead, then those who have died should no longer live for themselves, but should live for the one who died and rose again. Andrew was compelled by this person he's met. If Christ has met Christ, are you not compelled to share it? The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. And he told him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And what did he do? He found him and he brought him to Jesus. That is the kind of church we must be. I pray that that same sense of urgency grips us. That our love for Jesus will propel us to think about the people that we love. Whether it's our families, whether it is our friends. And we will extend this invitation. The first thing that comes to our mind will be to think about those that we love. And to bring them to Jesus and where he is. I pray also that will have the heart of Andrew, that awkwardness, awkwardness will not be the thing that will stop us. That our reputation about being religious bigots or people that just believe in this kind of thing because of the place of work, that those things will not resist us. Why? Because when Christ was on the cross experiencing shame for us, how dare we now become ashamed of him? May we never be ashamed of the one who was never ashamed of us. May that not be our portion as we enter into 22 in the name of Jesus. You see, there are not two sets of men as you read further. Because the next day, Jesus himself now found somebody called Philip. And he just told Philip straight up, follow me. Philip was so compelled that he followed because all the Father gives to me will come to me. Philip followed Jesus. And after his encounter with Jesus, you know what Philip did? It says in verse 45, Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But you see, when Andrew found Peter, we never heard that Peter actually showed any resistance. They followed him. Maybe it was Andrew's reputation. Maybe as his brother, he just felt, ah, man, no, if Andrew is saying this, I must go. But when Philip told Nathaniel, what did Nathaniel do? Nazareth, gay. <laughs> Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel said. You see, he was skeptical. And at that point, guess what? Philip didn't have much words to say. He couldn't prove. He didn't have the capacity. He just said, you know what, Nathaniel, come and see. Oh, I'm excited about this. Come and see, he said, Philip. Philip said, come and see. I may not be able to, I may not be able to argue, I may not be able to give you the reasons, but I know that this, if you come to the place where Jesus is, you will be able to see what I am talking about. Friends, are you understanding? Some of us may not have the capacity to be able to present Jesus to certain people, we may not be equipped in a particular way, but we can bring people to where Jesus is. We can say, come and see. And so we 
want to invite people to Jesus personally and directly? Yes. But I'm challenging our city church as we go into 2022. May we be making indirect, converse, uh, indirect invitations to people. Bring them to church. I mean, specifically, if you've encountered Jesus in city church, make it a thing. Resolve that this year you will always invite people. Let them come for our worship services if you think Jesus is there. Let them come for our gospel communities if you think we study Jesus or we live out the life of Jesus. Let them come to the other communities. Let them come to our events. Let them share with the content that we put online, whether it's our sermons, whether it's the FAQs, all of these avenues. Use them to tell the people, come and see and encounter Jesus. Listen, friends, the assurance we get in John 6, 37 is too precious for us to keep to ourselves. That's why Jesus says, my peace I live with you. As the Father sends me, so I'm sending you. Jesus gives us a command to share it. And that's why 2022 is our year of invitation. We will invite people directly to Jesus. You will be equipped, you will be empowered to even do that more effectively as we go through the year. But we will also invite people indirectly to church. And as we do so, can I leave you with this? You can do this with this sure confidence, knowing this, that those who come to Jesus will never, ever be driven away. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.